Welcome back to AeroPro Coaching. This is Roy with podcast number six, podcast number six of Clipping In. And today we're going to go over um, some data. And uh, I just want to give you guys some uh, something that's going to be coming up hopefully next week. I'm going to start adding some guest speakers um, to this podcast. I'm going to interview some of the athletes that I work with. And we have athletes who are Ironman athletes. We have athletes who are national champs. We have athletes who are just... Uh, group riders, and I want to get their perspective on training, on riding, why they do what they do, their life stories, where they come from. So, and I think that would be um, some insightful information. So, today we're going to talk about data. Um, I'm a big data person, but people will know that I'll go from um, I can talk to someone who is fully geeked out, power, you know, all the telemetry in the world, we can talk about it. And I can talk to the person who just used perceived effort in miles per hour. And I've had what I guess what spurred this podcast is I have a lot of people coming in with power meters these days and they don't know how to use them. Like I've had in the last two weeks, I've had about 10 people come in uh, with power meters on their bike. And I asked them the same question. I was like, hey, you got a power meter. Cool. Do you use it? He's like, no, it's just a number there. So now it becomes just another like number, like a speedometer, like a heart rate thing. You don't know what to do with it. So, you know, in the in it having these this device is great it's one of the most powerful tools you can have on your bike and we're going to talk a little bit about that and why um it's so powerful and how you can use it a little bit more effectively um in your training and and also debunked a few things out there there's a there's a coach out there um a pretty i want to say big i guess big time coach and a lot of times like we'll we will assume that coach knows what they're talking about because maybe they came from a professional background. Maybe they were a racer. Maybe they were a professional athlete. Um, and so we assume that that information is accurate because they did it. And I can tell you this. You don't need to be a racer or a professional at a sport to coach it. Right? Coaches are very um, – coaching is very different. Like you don't – I think some of the greatest coaches of all time have never coached. Belichick. Or, or played a sport. Belichick didn't play football. He was growing up in a football family, but he didn't play. And he's a pretty good coach. He's a pretty good coach. Um, my, one of my favorite is um, Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz is one of the greatest coaches of all time. And uh, I think he played a little bit of baseball in Little League, but didn't play professionally. Never played. And I, you could probably go up and down the line of coaches, and very few um, were professional in their sport. Coaches have a few little things that I think that um, that make them a good coach, and and being a professional isn't one of them. So that's the thing. Like the criteria to a good coach is not being a professional athlete. Now, should they have been an athlete in some form, fashion, or been been around it or understand the sport? Sure, yep, they should. So I want to debunk a few things because this this person was saying some stuff that is just not accurate, and um, and I I think that I like to give accurate information from the best that I know. I mean, I've been I'm fortunate. I've been able to do this as um, a bike fitter for a living for about uh, 11 years. I've been coach for eight, and that's all I do. Um, and that's how I support my family. That's how I, I put bread on the table. Um, it's not a hobby for me. I'm not doing this to buy a new pair of fucking zips. So, um, but I I do I go to classes. I listen to other coaches. I I grab information that I believe is accurate from people who are reputable, and I love it because I grab information from people who are doing it, like who do it, who aren't just preaching it, but they're in, implementing this these these. Uh, this the the tactics the the techniques and they're they can show it they can quantify it they're not just like saying hey this is what works and then they don't quantify it or this is what worked for me you know what 
this works for me means it worked for you that doesn't mean it works for everyone else especially in endurance sports so let's dive right into this all right i got this power meter right i got this power meter hooked up to my bike and what do i do with it all right well power is measuring watts and watts is a measure of work so when you push on those pedals it's measuring actual work being applied where speed is uh, based on the conditions. So if you have windy conditions and it's a headwind, you'll go 10 miles an hour. If you turn around, you're going to go 50 miles an hour and it'll be for the same intensity. So the same effort. So it does, it's not a direct measure of speed, but it's a direct measurement of, uh, of the after effects of, or excuse me, it is the direct measurement of the after effects of putting power to the pedals. So as I put power to the pedals, then that's reflective in the speed that you go. Uh, so heart rate, heart rate's a physiology thing. Like your body is, it's more reactive. So it's not the input. The input is power. So if I'm inputting power to the pedals, the output or what's happening to the body is uh, the heart rate. The heart rate reacts to that power being put down. A lot of people will say, well, heart rate's just as good. No, it's not. It's not just as good. It's a good number. It's a good metric to look at, but it doesn't measure strength on the bike just like speed does not measure strength on the bike. Power does. It would be like going into the gym, right? A power meter is the weight. The weights you put on a bar or the bar. I mean, the bar has weight to it. But let's, just, you know, the again, it is the weight. So consider power meter weight. If I go into the gym, I lift 135 pounds. That's the weight. And then when I lift it six times, that's the duration because I'm lifting six times 135 pounds. So duration on a bike is time or distance. And then power, okay, that's the intensity or the effort where on, if you're lifting weights and I do six reps of 135 pounds, 135 pounds is the intensity or the power and the reps, okay? The reps are the duration, how much time I'm lifting that weight under the under those rep ranges. Now, we're gonna continue on this uh, uh, lifting um, model or example. So if I, I, there's a lot of ways to gain muscle or strength or conditioning you can do uh, explosive efforts just like you can do explosive efforts on the bike you can do lots of reps you can rep out you can do 25 reps you can do 50 reps you can do 100 reps same thing with uh, on the bike you can do lots of reps with lower weight or lower intensity endurance endurance riding is low intensity lots of reps or you can do um, strength. So you can go, I'm going to do five sets, three, five sets, three reps, 200 pounds. Okay. So you are, uh, pushing, um, more weight. And so with, with the bike, you can do that too. You can adjust how much you're going to do. Instead of doing 200 Watts for two hours, you're going to do 500 Watts for two minutes. Again, you're adjusting the time in intensity. And that's all we're doing on the bike. We do the same thing. It's no different. It's just we are uh, um, change. We are trying to uh, stress physiological systems. So we're trying to stress like tempo or endurance, and so forth and so on. So we're just trying to stress the systems. And what power meters do is track that. It tracks the load, just like we're tracking the amount of weight. And so the best thing to do is just let that track, and then you want to feed that information into a software system like Training Peaks. And Training Peaks. Is one of the leaders in the industry, so we'll use them uh, as we go through this uh, podcast. And what the, what this will do, so it'll break down all your rides. It'll show you how many kilojoules, meaning how much work did you do, because kilojoules is a measure of work. So if you are putting out watts, if you're riding your bike, you're gaining kilojoules. 
and as you gain kilojoules you're doing more work and that's that'll be important here down the road and um, so kilojoules is a great number to look at it's a great one to look at on endurance rides it's a great one to look at when you're when you're doing a, a group ride and so forth uh, so so, all right, here we have this power meter. It's measuring the force. It's measuring the effort. It's measuring the weights I'm lifting. And at the end, I load it to the system. And then when the system is done, it, it puts into this how much time you spent in each zone. So it'll tell you. In Strava, does this too. You can do it in Strava. You can do this in Garmin Connect. It'll tell you, okay, in zone one, you spent 40% of your time or one hour. And then you spent, in zone two, endurance, you spent, 30 minutes and then in zone two in zone three four five so you can look at your ride and you can see it through all these zones how much time you spent in each zone now from a performance standpoint you have to spend enough time in each zone to get um, a positive response or adaptation you got to stress your body in a zone and that will cause enough strain to cause adaptation just like lifting weights so for example if you're doing 20 reps and you've always been doing 20 reps, like you get into the gym and for the last six months you've been lifting 35 pounds 20 times and you haven't changed anything. You didn't progress it. You didn't go from uh, the 35 pounds, you didn't go to 30 reps or the 35 pounds, you didn't go to 40 pounds. So all you did was you changed, uh, you just kept the reps the same. You kept the reps and the weight the same and then the body adapts and then it, it plateaus out. It doesn't get any stronger. Just like on the bike, if you do the same thing, if you if you ride the same way, if you have the same time in each zone, then your body's going to flatten out. You're not going to see improvement. Now, a good coach will come in and say, "Hey, we need you to lift 45 pounds 20 times," and then they and you do. You do that. You work up to that, and your body adapts to that. Now the coach says, "Hey, I want you to go to." Uh, I want you to go to 35 pounds and I want you to do it 50 times. So now we're changing the reps and the sets and then you do and your body adapts. Same thing with endurance sports. You're out there and we say, hey, we need you to ride endurance for an hour. Okay, you do that. We see some markers that say you've gained some fitness and now we need you to do 90 minutes and now we need you to do two hours. And that's the way you can kind of use that those um, cycling computers in a very basic way. You just let You just record your ride you upload it and you see how much time you spend in each zone okay so then at the end of the week you can total it you can say hey i spent five hours in recovery i spent three hours in endurance i spent one hour at tempo i spent 30 minutes at in threshold now how do i improve that well you don't even have to improve the amount of time right you don't have to up the volume because you spent five hours in recovery so if you become more efficient in your training and you only spend four hours in recovery, then that gives you another hour to put in all the other zones. And by adding that other hour in the other zones, you'll see improvement. So you can see, you can add that hour at tempo. So now you're doing, you know, two hours of tempo and only four hours of recovery. And eventually you'll get to a point where you're doing only two hours of recovery and then all of your time is spent in specific zones. But that takes a long time. And then maybe then you have to add either volume or intensity. So it gives you a way to track, just like you're tracking your weight, tracking your, um, tracking like the weights you're lifting in the gym. It just tracks this data, right? And that's what I do as a coach. I, I look at it and I say, okay, everybody spent, you know, this athlete spent four hours in endurance. We want to try to build that to five hours. And then when we do that, we should see some kind of response. So the other day, and we're going to hit on zones here in a minute, but the other day I was riding, and I, but I want to tackle this this story or this this little scenario so i have a new athlete 
I met with four or five of them. We went for a ride, and we did a two-hour endurance, two or three-hour, three-hour endurance ride, two-hour endurance ride. And the way I like to do the endurance ride is start off at endurance and then build it up, and then at the end finish the last 20, 30 minutes at tempo, um, so a little, little higher intensity. So I started off a little easier, and I build it up, and then we finish strong. So this athlete in the beginning, he was uh, riding next to me, and then he kept pushing, pushing, pushing the pace, upping it, upping it, upping it, upping the pace, upping the pace. And I was, I was like, man, we gotta slow, we gotta slow down. We gotta keep it steady. Okay, we want to stay steady, endurance. And he kept doing it, and then we, we started to have a conversation. And in that conversation, um, I got from him that hey, I, he's like, I'm a 110% guy. I like to do everything 110%. I'm, I'm a go-getter. I'm a, like, this is how I was born and raised, and blah blah blah. And a lot of us are like that. We want to give it our all. Now, sometimes we want to give it our all for about three weeks, and then we fall. And then sometimes we always want to give it our all 110%. And here's the problem with giving 110%. If you give 110% in endurance sports, you will get hurt. Okay. Also, you're not training efficiently and effectively. Okay. So listen to that. If you are training at 110%, if you have that 110% mentality, you are not training efficiently, effectively, and you potentially could harm yourself. And this is why. In football or baseball or, or skill-based sports, sports that require skill, you can practice a golf swing, right? You can beat some balls, and the more you do, the better that swing will become. Same thing with batting practice in baseball or maybe throwing a football. You can practice technique. If you're an offensive lineman and you're working on hand drills or hand technique, you can practice that. You can practice those things that are going to technically make you sound, okay? And you're going to see improvement, muscle memory and all that. But on a bike, okay, we use a bike, for example, You there's not much skill there. And I'm not talking about bike handling. I'm just talking about riding your bike, okay? Riding it without, you know, not, I'm not, you know not, we're not talking about turns or race tactics or or jamming up into the corners and all that. We're talking about just riding your bike. The bike does a really good job. It just it, You just pedal. That's all you have to do. Sure, there's pedaling technique and all of that stuff, but really you get on the bike and you're giving 110%, meaning you're going 10% over your zone. So let's say if I ride at tempo and my tempo zone is 200 watts. So the coach says, hey, ride at 200 watts. You ride somewhere around 200 watts you know 190 210 you're in that 20 watts you know variance from 200 and you're right there in endurance but you go man i'm going to show coach today i'm going to show coach i can do it and i'm going to give him 10 percent more means you're going to be at 220 and you're going to be riding at tempo and not only are we riding at tempo you're going to be riding at the lower end of it you're going to be just you're making it just hard enough that it's too hard and it's defeating the purpose of the workout and that's what 110 percent does it, it pushes you just enough over that is defeating the purpose of the workout and it's not giving you any benefit, right? It's not giving you any benefit because we probably need you to do 20% over to get the benefit of that true tempo, but you're just going 10% over with that 110% mentality. And I see this a lot. It happens very, very often that athletes will go a little bit too hard and or they add too much volume. They add more volume. They're like, oh, coach, give me an hour. I'm going to do two hours. Okay, I'm going to do two. And that's a short range approach. Like most of the athletes, when they start a program, they're like, man, I'm paying money. I want to get the value of this. And it, the value comes with you listening to the coach. The value comes with, if the coach says two hours, do two hours. The coach says 90 minutes, do 90 minutes. If the coach says ride at 200 watts, ride at 200 watts. Don't overdo that. If you're going to overdo it, that 
couple reasons why you're doing it. It's your ego. Okay, you got an ego thing and you you have a control issue. If you're not willing to relinquish control and if you're not willing to check the ego in, coaching is probably not for you. Because that's the thing, coaches have a program. Now, if you don't believe in your coach, if you don't think that they're doing, they're setting you up for success, then that's a different story. You probably shouldn't be paying that person money. But if you believe in their system, if their system has worked, if if you've seen other athletes getting better, then you should buy into it. Okay, or have a conversation with them and say, hey, this is, you know, this is why I want to do this. And then the coach will come back with some kind of answer, like I did for this athlete. I said, hey, man, I get it. You want to do 110 percent. But let's stick to 100%. Give me 100% compliancy, meaning do every workout the way I tell you to do it, and let's see how that works. And if I, if I fail, then great. Then we make a decision on how to go. But a lot of times when you have tenure coaches, coaches have been doing this for a while, you pick them for a reason. You've scouted it out, the reviews, you've seen that they produce some numbers, they produce some some positive results, so that's why you're with them, and so you should believe in that system, right? So you have to believe in the system. All right, so I was like, hey, don't do the 110%. Um, I don't want you to get injured. I don't want you to ride at above that level. Um, and here's the biggest thing uh, of riding at 110%. The goal is not to do the most, it's to do the least, right? It's to do the least, and this is what I mean. We want the least amount of work that causes positive adaptation we want the least amount of work that will cause a strain or stress on the body stress on the body to cause a strain for adaptation to happen so if i if i can get that stress under if i can you know if, if an hour causes enough stress to strain the body to adapt then great why would i do more i only need to do an hour and then some athletes might need two hours some might need three and that's going to be different for every athlete and we're going to talk about how we determine that so, for example, my three-hour endurance ride might be what I need to get better. But if that three hours was given to someone else, that would be too much. It would crumble them. That's why doing programs, other people's programs, doesn't work. Because their programs are very specific to their physiology. Now, if, your guys are, if you're similar in fitness and physiology, then sure. But that very few people are. And so y- your programs should be specific to you, the amount of load that it takes. Just like when you get into the gym, Right. Your partner might lift a little less than you, okay? If he's lifting 200 and you only can lift 150, you're not slapping 200 on there, are you? No, you'll get crushed. Same thing with cycling. No different. The gym and cycling are very much the same. There's no difference there. The same concepts apply, okay? The same concepts apply. It's just we're we're attacking physiology. We're attacking at the cellular level not and not directly at the muscles. We're not trying to make muscles big. Okay, not saying muscles aren't activated. So I know all you people out there are like, well, I use muscles. I got it. I understand. But again, same basic structure concepts. All right. So, hey, coach, like you said, um, you know, I just need the minimum effective dose. That's all I need to gain. How do I figure this out? I have this power meter. You told me to track it. I have time and zones. What am I doing? All right. Well, we need to set up your zones, right? You got to set these zones up that we were talking about. And that's where you do a threshold testing. And so... This coach uh, that we alluded to before said that functional threshold power, we'll just stick on the bike. For the run, this is the same functional threshold velocity, functional threshold power. But functional threshold power doesn't um, doesn't uh, matter. doesn't matter. And um, I'm like, well, it matters for a couple reasons. One, it matters to help set your zones uh, for training. And it also matters because somebody who has a strong threshold is a strong rider. As simple as that. 
all, all things equal. So for example, if I weigh 150 pounds and I do 300 watts at threshold and somebody else weighs 150 pounds and they do 200 watts at threshold, I'm going to be stronger. And now on a time trial event, I'm going to beat them, assuming my aerodynamics is close to theirs. But, I mean, really, I, I'm going to destroy them at 300 watts. They have 200. Uh, if you're a, um, excuse me, if you are a uh, triathlete and you go out there and, uh, like, threshold on power or on the bike and threshold on, on the run is very important. So, for example, if you want to ride at 220 watts uh, at endurance, well, let's see. If you're doing 300 watts at threshold, and endurance is 70% of that, then that's 20, 210 watts. That's pretty close, right? So your threshold has to at least be 300 watts if you want to ride 210 at endurance. If you're trying to ride 210 at endurance and your threshold's 250, you're going to be riding a tempo and you're going to crack. You're, you're, you may be able to do it, but then you're going to start cramping. That's why people are cramp. I mean, they're, they're riding above their intensity level. They're, they're riding uh, checks their body can't cash, and all of a sudden they're on the run, and they're sucking down hot shot and pouring, uh, uh, pouring um, uh, uh, pickle juice all over their body, and then they're trying to do all this stuff to stop the cramps, but the cramps started back when you were going too far over your threshold level, or excuse me, too far over your zones uh, for, for that, and you're not strong enough to support that. So that's the thing. You got to check that out. Like, where is my threshold? So this coach is saying how threshold is not important, and I get it because he says you don't race with threshold. Like he was alluding that I did a race and I only spent 20 minutes in threshold. Well, that's good. That's good. That's actually excellent. That's actually ideal. Now, for endurance athletes who are triathletes who are um, time trials, that's not good because you you're going to be at threshold, right? Like the higher threshold, the stronger you are. So, but if you're looking at a road race, um, if you're looking at criterium racing, if you're looking at like hill climb stuff, threshold, um, you may only spend. Uh, you know, short amounts of time at threshold. But if I have 300 watts and this dude has 200 watts and we're in a race, right? And and he's at, and the race in the beginning, the first hour of the race is hard, right? It's a really hard race and we average 200 watts. Well, he's averaging right at his threshold and I'm averaging at not even endurance. I'm at endurance. I'm almost at recovery because my threshold's 300. So my threshold's 300. This dude's threshold's 200. The average watts for this first hour of the race were 200. He's riding at threshold just to stay in the group. So threshold gets you to the table. If you have a good threshold, then that's going to get you, you know, that's the foundation. That's a good foundation of, of a, a strong road cyclist. If you don't have a good foundation, then you have to really be, even tactics, you know, sometimes they can help you drafting, you know, be, being able to be in the group and all that. But you have to have a certain amount of a threshold. And as you go up the categories, as you go up the ranking, um, whether it's on your weekly group ride or on your um, on your uh, on a race, like as you move up from C level to A level or from cat five to cat one, that threshold better be raising. And if it's not raising, then you're going to get dropped. And it happens every time. I mean, you're, you know, yeah sprinting and 30 second power and one minute power and five minute power these are all important um uh important uh, uh subsets that you need to have but if you don't have the prerequisite threshold then none of those are going to do you any good because at the end of the race you're going to be off the back like a lot of races in the upper categories or even in your group ride that's spirited have a selection right 
meaning that there's some attacking going on and then all of a sudden there's a final selection of six seven riders maybe ten riders and in that selection all of those riders are very, not i want to say the exact same threshold but they have a certain amount of threshold to be in that selection the people who don't have it the 200 waters are in the back those who are around 250 300 are probably in that group now in that selection you're going to have a mix you're going to have a time trial guy who has a really high threshold and you're going to have a guy who's a sprinter who but has a decent um threshold you're going to have an all-arounder in there you're going to have people who have a good one minute power so you're going to have in the selection you will have some people who their powers at one minute or three minutes or 30 seconds are going to be really really good but they still have a good baseline threshold so that's why threshold's important that's why it's a number you want to track now how do i know what it is a couple ways the way i like to do it and I highly recommend people to do it. We want it to have more than one number. We don't want to just base it on a single day test. So what I would do is go out and do an all out effort for 20, 30 minutes. Um, if you can stretch it to 30, great. If it's 20 minutes, take 5% off of that. If it's 30 minutes, take 4% off. More data, the better that number becomes. So that's why I like to stretch it to 30. If you can do 40 minutes, if you go 40 minutes, let's just call that your threshold. Okay, we'll say what that number is for 40 minutes is your threshold so 20 30 or 40 minutes you go out there and do it i know i get it 60 minutes at a steady quasi steady state is called threshold but stick with me on this then go out and do your a spirited group ride a criterium uh, race something that is short and intensive for one hour close enough you know if it's a little over that's fine and i have a uh, a ride i do in the mornings early mornings really intensive fast a lot of good racers riders on it and what i do is on that ride i go as hard as i can i gas it as much as i can when it slows down i keep pushing i come over the top i keep dragging it along and uh you know maybe the last lap or so i try to do a breakaway to really up the intensity and, and push 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 and then i take the normalized power okay so when you load your power meter into garmin strava uh training peaks it's going to give you a number called normalized power and that normalized power averages out those spikes so you'll have in a group ride where there's lots of intensity you'll have up and down spikes where you're riding high intensity high power low power and then it, and it kind of averages it out and you get normalized power that's the simplest way there's it goes there's more detail on that but let's just keep it simple that normalized power number that you have for that hour you take that number take your other number from the individualized test that time trial you did that was 20 30 40 minutes average them together and that's your threshold We'll st say that. So that's two data points that you're using. Instead of just counting on one day where maybe you didn't have your best day, but you had a decent day, but not your best day, then you're going to compare it to that one hour criterium, going hour, hard group ride, that one hour intensive group uh, world championship. You're going to use that. You can do a one hour Strava, or excuse me, a Zwift, you know, Zwift race. That would be good. A one hour Zwift race, take that average. Um, and then put that together and then call that your threshold. Um, it's better than using that 20 minute minus five okay that's one data point you may not have you may have either did your best ever or not good enough and, and so we want to make sure that we have a couple data points i use wk 4.0 and it uses all uh the athletes data meaning that it averages out all of the data it puts it on a on this fancy curve and in through some fancy uh, math we get um we end up getting a threshold so that's that's a little more technical but for you simple power users who have a power unit right now in your hands you don't know what to do with it first thing to do is go out there ride with it record it log it so it's either on it's recording your data i like training peaks let it go to training peaks see how much time and zone you're training you're putting in 
you know if and again i would probably do the zone test first right because how do i know what my time in zone if my zones weren't set up right so i'd probably go out there and do you know a 20 minute effort i would probably go out there and do a 20 30 40 minute effort all out save that you know note that power number and then you know within seven to ten days pick that hard group ride you can do a bunch of those hard group rides right and 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 then take two or three of those one hour numbers and then average them together we just want multiple de- data points um, you can do this with running as well you can do a you know a five or a 10k run and then you could do a couple running races uh, or running groups and then take that number and then average it out and get your functional threshold velocity the velocity how fast you ride um, over the course of uh, of of an hour um, and so that that would give you um, you know another way of doing it so all right so now you have you you take you've done your your testing you've done your um you've done your group ride you've done all of that you put it together you averaging and it comes out to 250 watts so that's your threshold you throw that into training peaks you throw it in onto your garmin you throw that into your wahoo put that in strava and now you have these zones and for simplicity's sake like like uh, uh, this particular coach that was saying that threshold doesn't matter which obviously hopefully now you understand it does matter he said oh i have like 15 zones and i'm like wow that's a lot of zones like most people are having trouble just setting up their zones let alone paying attention to 15 zones because you basically have two you have aerobic and anaerobic you have with oxygen without oxygen so aerobic based anaerobic over and then i like to say that the third one is in the middle that's the threshold that's the equator so the thresholds that you know what you can hold for one hour at a quasi steady state it's where your body starts to build up lactate um quicker than it can um utilize or use for energy and at that point your body if you're going above threshold is anaerobic it's it's pushing above that threshold if it's below it it's at tempo or excuse me aerobic and aerobic base so and inside of the aerobic and the anaerobic are different zones so every coach is going to break those down in in different ways and most of your systems are going to start with zone one, which is going to be like recovery ride, little coffee shop thing. Zone two is going to be endurance. Zone three is going to be tempo. There's zone 4A, okay, zone 4A, um, which is sweet spot. And then there's zone four, which is threshold. Zone five is going to be uh, anaerobic or VO2 and, um, and zone six. So I think that's zone six, so four, five, six is going to be uh, neuromuscular or sprinting. So you know attempt so let's go through that one more time so recovery you can pretty much ride all day as long as you're feeding the body uh just least fluids and a little bit of cal- calories uh endurance again you could ride that for multiple hours five six eight ten hours as long as you're feeding the body tempo anywhere from two to five hours depending on the athlete are there athletes who can do more than five sure are there athletes who don't do who can do who do less than two yes but two to five hours at tempo um solid tempo that would be uh, a good uh, tempo type of workout, two to five hours. Do we offer uh, workouts that are 90 minutes that are tempo? Yes. Okay. Remember, we're looking for the, we're going to be looking for the cumulative effect of training, not just the one day thing. But two to five hours and one lump sum. That's a good target. Um, sweet spot. Sweet spot is ju- just above tempo, right below threshold. It's that little area where you're stressing the body just hard enough to provide a lot of adaptation. Uh, and sweet spot. It's typically 88 to 95 percent of your threshold value and that you can do i've seen people do 90 minutes upwards of three hours 
Um, I'm sure there's people who can do a little bit more. I'm sure there's people who do a little bit less. Threshold's what you should do for an hour. And in reality, the ranges that we see through some of our software is anywhere from 40 to six, six, 70 minutes. 40 to 70 minutes people are holding threshold. So I'm not going to really get into a big uh, discussion on that, but we see if you just say what you can do for an hour, we'll call that it. We'll call that your threshold. And then you, your anaerobic um, capacities like your VO2s, there's different... Um, once you get over threshold, things get a, a little chopped up, uh, but your next uh, progression could be three to five minutes, three to six minutes um, efforts, and then from there it goes to one minute efforts to 90 second efforts, you know, and then it goes to uh, 20, 30 second efforts, and then five second efforts. So as it gets over threshold, there, the, the subsets or the categories or the zones are going to be three to six minutes. Uh, then you're looking at 1 minute to 90 seconds, then you're looking at 30 seconds uh, to 20 seconds, and then you're looking at 5 seconds, uh, like like a max or, or uh, we call them P-max or, or neuromuscular like sprinting effort. So again, so you have a bunch of different zones. Um, once you have your threshold set, it'll uh, you can pick whatever zones you want, and then you start recording it, and then after a couple weeks, you can start to see how much time you spend in zones. All right, so we're spending time in zones. Uh, I have I can I have the threshold set up like the, like this coach says. I have some zones. It's recording it now, and then every week I go back and look at it. And I'm like, oh, I'm spending the exact amount of time, same amount of time every week in this in these zones. So I think that like you seeing it, that awareness will help you change your training without even hiring a coach. That helps you. Now with coaches, what we do is we kind of steer you in the right direction we say hey you should spend more time in this zone in this zone in this zone all depending on the event or the workout you're trying to do all right so next the thing that we talked about in the in the strength training is we were measuring um stress on the body by lifting weights you know three to five sets and, and all of that and typically we feel afterwards a soreness like the muscle is sore or fatigued in cycling we don't have that same feel right in cycling you don't feel that same fatigue the fatigue that you feel is more internal or physiology or at the cellular level you know your 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 cells are tired your your, your mitochondria has been working and now they need a break um, your body's not as efficient in, in processing lactate because it's fatigue you, you're either dehydrated or whatever the case may be so what we want to do is we want to take something that will measure time and intensity and give us a stress factor on the body and so this coach was talking about this um, fictitious TSS, training stress score, this pulling a rabbit out of our hat. Now, some people are very smart, have developed this. Um, they are um, exercise physiologists, researchers, um, and they do a, a lot of great work in um, developing metrics for us to track and, track, track and stay healthy and progress the sport of, uh, of endurance. And training stress score is great for tracking the stress of endurance athletes. So... And this is how it works. It's There's time and intensity. So the amount of time, which is duration um, or distance, based on the intensity. So if I ride for one hour all out, then that's threshold. I get 100 TSS points. So the training stress on that is 100. And so TSS is based on time, intensity, and the reference point is your threshold. Okay. So one hour, you get 100 points. If I ride at 50% of uh, threshold, I get 50 points for one hour. Now, if I ride for five hours, I get 250, I get 50 times five, if it's at 
and I get 250 TSS. So we can accumulate training stress in very a bunch of ways. We can do it at low intensity. Uh, we can do it at higher intensity, shorter volume. Um, and it's all based on that uh, your threshold. So now we have a way to track the stress that we're putting on our body in a physiological manner, in a physiology manner. So if as we in a simple way to do this, right, is if if seven days all right, for a week, if you're doing 100 TSS, let's say you're doing 90 minute rides under threshold. So they're at, you know, maybe a little bit of tempo and, and endurance. At the end of those rides, it's 100 TSS. At the end of seven days, it's 700 TSS. The average of that is 100. And that's what's called your chronic training load. The chronic training load is actually the average of the last 42 days. The last 10 days being more important than the than the first 10 days. So if you take 42 days and you average that, and let's just say you did 100 TSS every day, you'd be close to 100 CTL. And why is that important? Well, chronic training load is the cumulative effect, the buildup of training. So as you as you train, you know, if you're if you're doing the same type of training week in and week out, and you're stressing the body with the same amount of load, then you're going to see a flatter chronic training load and you're going to see a flatter fitness level. Now, if you're mixing it up and you're adding volume or you're adding intensity or you're adding training stress to the body, it's going to cause adaptation and you're going to see fitness growing. So as the chronic training load is growing, as you're doing more TSS, as you're doing more work, then your body is being forced to adapt to that work and then you'll see gains in fitness. Now, TSS can be acquired through lower intensity, moderate intensity, or high intensity. And depending on that intensity will depend on what types of gains you make. For example, if I do a lot of work in the threshold range, I want to improve someone's threshold, then the TSS that they acquire is going to be at a, a higher intensity versus if I want to just build aerobic-based fitness. If I'm just looking to build aerobic-based fitness, then at that point, I am doing it at a lower intensity, um, like an endurance, like a zone two and a zone three uh, tempo. So then that TSS that they're getting is being built up at low intensities. Now, if I want to build high intensities, I want to build over threshold anaerobic, then the TSS is being built using anaerobic or intensive efforts. So not all TSS is created equal. It's not a number that you compare to other people. It is, a, it is a number that you can track using a thing called a performance management chart. It's a chart that actually tracks your chronic training load. It tracks your TSS and it allows you to look at the patterns and it, it shows you if you're ramping going up too quickly. It shows you when you perform your best. Like we can look at someone's data for a year and we can see when they do their peak performances, when they do their best power, when they do their best efforts. And we try to uh, obviously replicate that or find out why. Because if we find out why they're doing it or why their body is uh, is accepting that training and giving them some positive results, then we can duplicate it. We can make it more efficient and more effective. Most people are just training to train. And so you get these programs, you know, eight weeks or 12 week programs or whatever, or you have a coach just inputting the workouts um, and you're just training to train and, and, and everybody's going to get some value from that. You're going to get some fitness gains and all of that, but eventually something's going to happen. You're going to plateau out. You're going to get injured. You're going to get tired because you're not making any gains uh, or you're still getting dropped in the group ride. So 
What this does is allow us to make the training more specific to you. It individualizes it and it gives you specific targets and parameters. So like I may give the same workout to two athletes, but one athlete is doing it for an hour. The other one's doing it for two hours. So same workout, same intensity. It's just one athlete's body can take more. If the more you train, the more you can train. I believe that's a quote from Joe Friel. So the more you train, the more you can train. That's why going out and training when you start training, we like to start at a lower level, you know, four or five, six hours and build upwards because we want to look at the least amount of work that provides that stress. And so the TSS will do that for us and we can track it. So I think the guy said TSS is it's not like a bank. You can't go into the TSS bank to get fitness. And that's actually false because TSS is just like a bank, because as you are depositing the work, depending on the area you're working, you're putting deposits in the bank and eventually you can make that withdrawal if you're not putting in the work if you're not putting in the fitness uh, work to gain fitness then you you're going to go to the bank and there's no money there so again this coach was talking about how ftp is not important and how tss is a fictitious number and, uh, and right right there in both those we uh, hopefully you guys can see that both that information is not valid or, or, or correct in any shape form or fashion so how coach i, I don't know all about this ctl tss but but okay i i i I set my zones up, coach. Um, I'm I plug it all in. I have you know I'm 250 watt guy, and I'm doing five hours a week of training, and I spend about three hours in endurance or excuse me recovery, and I spent the two hours in the other zones. And I'm you know you know how do I do this? Well, all right, next, start tracking your TSS for the week. All right, well the next at the end of the week I did 300 t TSS in week two I did. 400 TSS. I'm like, okay, well, good. You're you're progressing the TSS at least. You know, your GS went from 300 to 400. That's good. You're not going from 200 to 200 to 200. You know, if TSS stays st steady, 200, 200, 200, then again, again, your your gains are going to slow or they're going to be non-existent. Um, so now you can you have two things you can look at. You can look at time and zone and training stress score, right? So you can pick one. You can be like, all right, I want to start to ramp my training stress score up. I want to go from 200 to 300 to 400 to 500. Okay, so just to give you some baselines for training stress score, a a person who does five to six hours, they can be anywhere from 300 to 500 TSS, depending on how effective they're training. You may be able to get to 600, but if you only do on five to six hours, about 600 is typically all someone's going to get. Um, and you got to think about that. If you're doing six hours, that means every day you're doing a ride at threshold. So that's it's going to be pretty tough to do that if you're if you're doing six hours of training. So you're probably going to be closer to four hundred, three to four hundred dollars, three to four hundred TSS points um, if you're doing five to six hours. If you're in the eight to ten hour range, eight to ten hour range, that's where you're going to see the five to seven, five to eight hundred TSS people. Um, five to seven, probably more than likely, um, if you're putting in eight to ten hours. If you're doing 10 to 15 hours of training per week, then this is where you can hit those 1,000, 1,200 TSS weeks. Now, those are the not those are just targets. Those are just out there. You don't want to go. Well, I got. I'm doing 15 hours a week. I want to ramp it right to 1,500 TSS. What I would do is just see what your normal TSS is per week. See what you're doing normally, just like your normal training zones. Don't don't start to change too many things rapidly my best advice with that is train ride with a power meter do that power testing get those numbers set your zones continue to ride pay attention to time and zone you know see how much time you're spending at the end of each week see how much tss you're putting in without changing your training and then notice the pattern if every week for two weeks you're putting in the same tss then you're like okay i need to go a little harder and i need to or i need to go a little longer you're like well i only have six hours 
but I'm spending three at endurance, or excuse me, I'm spending three in, in, in recovery. Well, there you go. You looked at time and zone, and you only have six hours, and, you, and you're doing 200 TSS. What you want to do is up the intensity a little bit, right? So you want to take a little bit of time away from the recovery and put it into the other zones, ride a little harder, and now you have 300 TSS. Okay, you got 300 TSS. Now you do that for a few weeks, and then you want to go to 400 TSS. Okay, well, I'm going to do 400 TSS, and I'm going to, instead of doing three hours of recovery, I'm only going to do two hours. I'm going to be really aware, and I'm going to spend four hours of training and riding and group riding or whatever, and then I'm going to get to 400 TSS. Then you're going to recover. And when you recover, because you went from, you know, uh, you know, say you went to th three, two, three, four. Then you're going to recover and have an easy week, 100, 150, maybe 200 TSS of really, really easy riding. Okay. Again, TSS of easy riding. And then that's how you can look at your training. And then what I would do is build that into three or four week blocks of training uh, and see what happens. Now, it, you may want to start with focusing on putting more time in zone uh, in, in endurance and in tempo, endurance and tempo. And then after that, you may want to spend some time at threshold. And then after that, you may want to spend some time at doing high-intensity training. You know, this high-intensity training stuff is great, but if you don't have the foundation, then eventually you're going to get injured sick or you're not going to see the gains. Like everybody sees gains from these high-intensity things, and, and um, they have a time and a place um, for them, but I would be aware and cognizant that it, like too much of that could cause some issues. Okay. Um, all right, so here we have... We talked about kilojoules, and I want to talk about that for a little bit. With kilojoules, like on a group ride, what I like to do with my athletes, because I, you know, I'll give them some structured work to do Monday through Friday, and uh, they get some homework. And then on the weekends, we let loose a little bit, and I have them do a group ride. And with the group rides, maybe they're two to three hours. You know, your local group ride, and at the end of that group ride, we can see how many kilojoules they burned. And I, you know, sometimes it's 1,200, 1,500 kilojoules. And if you upload this to Strava or one of your systems, you'll see kilojoules. And a good way to use this is that every week that you're doing that group ride, that same group ride that you do with your buddies, try to improve the amount of kilojoules. And you're like, well, how do I do that? It's the same group ride, you know, and I ride it the same way. Well, there's a couple ways you can do that. One, you can add a little bit more work on the beginning and the end, you know, when you're meeting your buddies. Uh, two, you can do a little more work in the group ride. And three, the best way to do it in my in my opinion, is to reduce the amount of coasting time. So when you're coasting, you're producing zero watts. And if you're producing zero watts, you get zero kilojoules. So if you can continue to pedal, always be pedaling. If you improve, if you improve your pedaling by 3%, you improve your amount of watts and kilojoules. So just by not coasting and always pedaling in the group ride, you can improve the amount of work you do. And the more work you do, the more stress on the body, it causes that strain and that adaptation that we talk about. Because we're always looking for adaptation. We're always looking to get better, no matter who we are, whether we're a group rider, whether a weekend warrior, whether we are a ham and egger, we always want to get better. So that's how we do it in a group ride. It's simple. You just look at one number, kilojoules. You can put that on your Garmin, your Wahoo. Uh, you can just look at it and say, at the end of the ride, I did 1,200. Next week, I'm going to shoot for 1,400, and you can watch that number. That's a good number to look at for group rides. Shorter, like intensive intervals, 20-minute intervals, 30-minute intervals, uh, things like that, one minutes. I like to use TSS scores for, for those. But just those long two, three, four-hour group rides. Um, I like to target um, for some people that, who are doing a Grand Fondos or big events or, or hard road racing, 32 to 3,500 kilojoule ride. If you can do a 32 to 3,500 kilojoule ride, that's a pretty stout ride. 
Um, and again, that's a good target to shoot for as a long-term objective. And then for more advanced athletes, I'll have them do multiple 32, 3500 kilojoule rides. Maybe we have them do, you know, one a week or one every other week um, or two a month. So it just depends on the athlete. Um, and then when you get into training, a lot of people, um, they, you know, one of the things that we do is we, we structure our training in a specific way. Like that's every coach does this. They have their own methods and methodology and how they use it and, uh, and how they structure their training. And we use a, a certain protocols and ways to build like fatigue resistance. So this time of year, we're trying to build aerobic base foundation tempo, uh, build the ability to ride steady power for long periods of time and build fitness that way. We use this time of year to improve body composition, to lose weight, but gain muscle mass. Um, a lot. This is the best time of year to lose weight is during the off season because you're doing lower intensity rides. You're going to burn more fat. When you start to get into the build phase, you you start to use um, you start to ride at anaerobic um, efforts or more uh, higher intensity efforts. So you're burning more glycogen versus fat, and so that's why a lot of people during the season will tend to gain a few pounds because they're burning more of that glycogen and less fat. Um, so, and so we, if we want some sustaining weight losses, we want to do it now in the next three to four months. And right now in this off season period, this is like the most important period because we don't get this back. Like you, if you, if you're, if you're like, oh, I'm going to kind of take some time off and, and, uh, let the off season go by, you, you won't get this back and it'll be hard to gain during the, uh, the actual season, uh, whether it's grand fondo season, group ride season, whatever the case may be, um, whatever poison you pick as far as your sport that you're doing. All right. So. When you're starting to do some intervals, like you start to add in like 20 minute intervals or 30 minute intervals or sweet spot long intervals or whatever the case may be on these intervals, these specific intervals. The one thing that I always preach to my athletes is you can't, you don't, we're not winning workouts, right? We're not winning workouts. Workouts are targets. So you go out there every day and you get your workout and it's a target. And what we're trying to do is make sure that, 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 that we are, um, we are able to, um, go after that target that the targets are reasonable right right like if i have a guy and he's a and he's a 200 watt guy i'm not having him run a 200 threshold watt guy i'm not having him ride sweet spot at 200 watts that's not attainable i may have him riding two by 30 at you know 80 percent, 85 percent of his threshold see how that goes and give him something that's attainable and then we push from there now if i'm riding and i'm an athlete and i don't achieve that goal i don't hit that target it's not a big deal it's not a loss we don't there's no wins or losses in training unless there's a loss if you don't do the training that's the loss but they're targets they're parameters they're targets that you're going after and unlike other sports like some other sports where you're like throwing a football and then something clicks right it clicks and you're like oh okay now i'm throwing the ball better or i'm catching better in endurance sports you're compounding fitness and that fitness is just kind of layering and layering and layering and eventually you see those gains we typically see improvements in fitness every six to eight weeks so it takes about eight weeks so the workouts you do today will not show the results for eight weeks and that's a hard thing to grasp for people you know we like to get those results quickly we want them in our you know we want to see them we want to grab it in our hands but and i use some data charting uh, that allows us to see improvements in certain fitness areas every six to eight weeks. Like if I'm doing intensive training, I can tell, I can show someone when they improved, where they improved and how long it took um, based on just some charts we use. Same thing with threshold. If we're working on threshold, if we're working on aerobic fitness, I can show them through some numbers. That's why numbers are important. Metrics are important because we can show that. It's a very motivating thing to show an athlete and, and it keeps them um, involved in the program. 
Now, I, you know, it's not all about data. Sure, it's the day-to-day grind. It's the it's the ability to kind of get out there and do those workouts when you don't want to do it. It's also the ability to pull the plug and come back another day because we're not winning on those workouts. We the the win is when you do your race. The win is when you do your event. The win is when you start uh, finishing the group ride with your buddies. The win is when you win the group ride. The win is when you lose that 10 pounds. Those are the wins. In between that are the targets. Those small goals, those small workouts, those targets that you're trying to achieve. And as a coach, you want to make sure you're setting those targets uh, correctly. If we set those targets correctly, if we uh, and uh, monitor them, and we, we should see some progression. Um, and I think that's it for today. I, I just want to touch on data, some some things out there that like threshold doesn't count. I hope you guys saw where it does count. I mean, you need to have a high threshold. You need to be a strong rider. We, we call threshold the strength of a rider. Um, sure, being fast is important. Um, sure, having aerobic base is important. Uh, but being being fa- being uh, having a strong threshold is very important. TSS is not a fictitional number. It is a number that's been tried and true and, and, and used for many years uh, to track time and intensity. Um, you know, we talked about intervals. We talked about uh, n- um, not winning them. And uh, I think next week... I'm going to come back uh, and hopefully I'm going to have a guest. I'm trying to get a guest in here so you guys, we can break up this, this, uh, this podcast a little bit. And I'm going to bring in guests and talk to them about their training, talk to them about their upbringing, talk to them about their results, talk to them about motivation, and have them uh, share a little bit about their story. So hopefully next week we will have a podcast that will include uh, one of our athletes. And we're going to continue to interview different athletes, whether they are with Arrow Pro uh, or outside of Arrow Pro, uh, to help bring you value. This whole podcast is about bringing value to athletes. It's really not promoting Arrow Pro, but I guess it is, right? Because I'm putting it on. But at the end of the day, you'll notice that very seldom do we um, preach what we're doing. We're basically telling you uh, th- what we've learned. We're giving you the story of what we learned, what we what we do every day, what we see work for athletes every day, and we're trying to give you the tools so you can uh, train more effective and efficiently, and then debunk some of the myths out there. Um, that's all we have for you with this episode. Uh, hope you learned something, and as always, up your watts. <laughs>